The following podcast is brought to you on behalf of the Saracens Supporters Association and is not an official product of Saracens Limited. Content provided voluntarily by our guests and contributors are of their own opinion, which may change over time and should not be taken as fact, particularly as the podcast hosts are regularly talking drivel anyway. If you've got some drivel of your own you'd like to share, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at fezcast underscore SSA. You can search Facebook for the Fezcast or you can email fezcast.ssa at outlook.com. Listening to the Fezcast. To the Fezcast. You're listening to the Fezcast which is proudly sponsored by the Saracen Supporters Association. And I'm Alison Davis, one of the SSA committee. For a £10 annual subscription, the SSA provides our members with monthly newsletters, virtual and in-person player events, away match ticket allocations, and we organise pre-match gatherings at away matches. We sponsor men's and women's players, and we support the Saracens Foundation Track Club on behalf of our members. On top of all that... Every year we have a seasonal SSA badge, which is exclusive to members. Where else can you get that much value for a tenner? Join now at membermojo.co.uk forward slash SSA or come and see us on match day in the Oasis at the Stonex. This is the Fezcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Fezcast. And uh, yeah, I'm back this week after last week having a week week off and allowing Matt to um, to uh, get big and brave and um, call me out and Fiona McFarlane. But I mean, I'm joined tonight by Joe Peak and Sam Norris. And uh, yeah, welcome to you guys again, Joe. Hiya, you've obviously um, enjoyed the women's rugby over the weekend, the women's World Cup start off and Sam you've been up in Newcastle and just got back so uh Sam how are you feeling first off knackered mate absolutely <laughs> knackered um yeah we were actually in hospitality up at Kingston Park and you probably hear the raspiness in my voice um a few a few Guinnesses yesterday a few Gwyneths um and uh yeah good result um happy to be home though <laughs> I'll have to check with my dad, make sure you behave yourself, because I know him and my mum were in the hospitality as well. Joe, I mean, I take it like myself, you were up early Saturday and Sunday morning to to take in as many of the Women's World Cup games as we possibly could. Yeah, the alarm call I didn't really like, I have to say, but uh, we'll discuss the scores, but there were some really good games over this weekend. Uh, six games played. So, yeah, really, really, really good games, competitive games, and I think... Um, it was a really good start round one of the Women's World Cup, for sure. Well, absolutely. Well, we'll do Women's World Cup in part one of this show. Part two is going to be um, a bit of a rant from me. <laughs> well, you've got used to it over the years now. I mean, you have Jez having a rant spot. I've got three um, burning issues that I feel we need to discuss. And then in our third and final part, we'll have a discussion about the positives from the Falcons match um, and also look forward to uh, the game of cricket we'll be potentially playing against Bath. Sorry, no, we can't get too arrogant and ahead of ourselves here. But we'll discuss Bath at home in uh, part three. So might as well go with part one. Um, yeah, Joe, start with you. We've seen some great games. Let's go through them, not in particular order, but let's just start. I think 
Wales versus Scotland. And I want to pull out one thing from there that um, Wales got, I was going to say blue murder, but it wasn't blue murder, was it? They got away with yellow murder on the weekend and um, slightly generous refereeing, do we believe? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think uh, even Joan Cunningham would would disagree that uh, they were probably lucky not to get um, a yellow card or two earlier than they actually did. Um, discipline was a, a, probably something they'll be working on uh, this weekend. But I have to say, it was uh, really, really good. Donna Jones and uh, got starts, so that was really good, especially to see Georgia out there after a horrific injury uh, last year. So really good to see her out, although she has got... She did get a bit of an arm stinger, I'm led to, led to believe, uh, in, in the game. So uh, we're hoping that uh, she'll be all right for, for next weekend. Um, but yeah, I definitely think uh, it was it was one of those that uh, potentially could have uh, uh, gone either way. And you know, at one point they had uh, the yellow card did start to flow then a little bit. But uh, I have to say, um, when you look at the positives from the Wales side, they were really really up for it, um, and, and definitely were were putting all guns blazing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the refereeing was perhaps generous, and perhaps it was round one. Um, I suspect that it might not be the case in in rounds three and four um, with uh, some of those discipline issues. Well, absolutely. I mean, obviously, up next for Wales and Scotland are Australia and New Zealand. I think the biggest issue, um, and I don't know how much of it you saw, Sam, being as you were travelling up north, but uh, the biggest issue really was that. Despite the deal discipline and regardless of the fact that yellow cards weren't given, the amount of penalties and the amount of time that Scotland spent in the Wales 22, the lack of incisiveness and an and ability to get across the try line must be of a huge concern to them. Yeah, I think I think you're right on that one as well, Jess, to be fair. Um, I think Scotland would be disappointed. Um, I saw an interview with uh, Rachel Malcolm, the captain, afterwards, and I thought it was a really classy interview, actually. So um, I was really impressed with her viewpoint um, on it. They were clearly really, really disappointed. Um, you know, the, the score was close in the end, 15-all, with uh, and then the last kick of the game, and uh, Kira Bevan. Uh, comes on and, and slots home the, the the penalty. So clearly, really heartbreaking for Scotland, given the um, journey that they've taken to get to the World Cup and having to go through final qualifying and, and such like. But I thought um, it was a really classy response from Rachel Malcolm in a um, post-match interview. Um, and there'll be things for them to work on. Their kicking was not brilliant, um, but again, you know, it, first game of a World Cup. They've not played for in, in a World Cup for a number of years and. Perhaps the, the occasion got a little bit uh, the better of them, but um, I, I I would like to think they'll come back um, as, a, as a home nation. You've got to support all the home nations when they're playing, and I think uh, I'd like to see them see them come back next weekend um, and show um, the world what they can actually do because they they are a really good team. And they've got some very good uh, strong players. Absolutely agree with that uh, Sam. What about yourself? What what, did, what have you seen of the the rugby women's game? Um, <clears throat> well, I must admit, I didn't set my alarm quite as early as Joe did, um, but I did make sure to take in the, the England highlights, um, of which they, it went on quite a long time, the highlights, because <laughs> that's obviously show all 7,000 tries that they scored. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I just, I just took from it was, I remember um, many, many, many years ago going to see a Six Nations game, England were playing Wales, and the women's team has played a curtain raiser, and this must have been back in about 2004, 2005, and I do remember saying then 
that the I was actually surprised by the the, the, the low level of quality in in the women's game beforehand. It might have just been a poor game, um, but just passing inaccuracies, that kind of stuff. Watching the highlights of that game on Saturday morning, the skill level is unbelievable, isn't it? Like the 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 England side, they they're, they're playing barbarian slash sevens rugby, throwing the ball around. It's like they're like Saracens a little bit at the moment. Absolutely, you know, delighted with how they're playing and 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 great to watch. And it's a little bit. I said on on the on the show last week. I'm really hopeful that this World Cup <clears throat> showcases the Red Roses in a very similar to way way to how you know we we got to see the Lionesses earlier in the in the year, and that it we can really build on the fact that actually we've got a really great women's team. Um, they're very exciting to watch. They score a lot of points. And people should be really excited by that, and I'm really hoping that this this showcases it because because that game Fiji are no you know they're not a, not an awful side by any stretch. They showed that themselves with a couple of great tries of their own, um, but we just blew them away, and it almost looked like we did it almost at a counter at some at some point. So long may it continue. Um, I know that we're going to have to continually build on this this record breaking run <laughs> to get to that final. Um, but as you say, the, the the whole women's game seems to have really improved over the last few years. So it's not not going to be an easy task. Um, but we we got off to the best possible start, didn't we? Oh well, absolutely. And I mean, it's an interesting point. Actually, you looked at the England team that went out there, and you just look at some of the names that weren't even picks who were held back, presumably to keep them fresh for France next week. But the likes of Marley Packer not even starting, uh, Lark Davis not starting. You know, people, the players that have been first-choice players and still every player that come, comes in does their job equally as well. And, you know, you didn't see, you didn't miss Marley Packer, you didn't miss Lark Davis. It was it was fabulous to see. And I think that's the strength of it. It's a bit like when England played in 2003 in the Rugby World Cup when we won. You know, Richard Hill pulled his hamstring against Georgia. Lewis Moody comes in. Um, Joe Worsley was around. You know, there was no issues. And then Richard Hill came back in and woof, there you go. It was just that extra little spot, which I think is what Marley Packer will do for, for England when she does come in. But yeah, a spectacularly good result. And, uh, and you know, I think Simon Middleton will be happy. I think David Flatman said it on commentary afterwards. He says, what was good was that it was a test match. It wasn't just England turning up and putting 80-odd points and walking through the game. They had to work hard and earn the right to score those 84 points. And, and that's that's good. That bodes well for the rest of the tournament. Do, do, do you agree, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Fiji, we know that they are immense in sevens um, and they showed some of that brilliant quick running, offloading um, and, and, you know, some of the tackling from England is probably where Simon Middleton needs to have a have a word with some of his players this, this weekend, uh, this week in preparation for the France game um, because some of it was a little bit loose. Um, but as you say, you know, there's so much depth in that squad. Uh, people that that weren't even in the lineup at all that are ready to come in. You mentioned Marley there. I thought Xavier Cabello at number seven though had an immense game. In fact, she got player of the match and was was really really good. The number of tackles that that girl gets through, um, and you know, I, I think they've just got all that um, in reserve as well that they can just rotate those players around. I don't, you know, there's there's not a weak area um, in that team for me. It, it's just absolutely. 
um, awesome. They just need to keep their heads, um, play well, do what they need to do. And, you know, they talk about it. I don't know whether you've uh, had a chance to watch the documentary that was on um, last week. Absolutely brilliant documentary um, made with um, a number of people, Jess Hayden from the Times being one. Um, but, you know, they just... They've just got so much strength in depth, um, uh, and I think um, if they go through their process, as they as they call it a lot, and, and keep together, then then they're going to do really really well in this World Cup. And I, I obviously would like to see them come back with that, with that trophy. Absolutely, and it was wonderful to see Abby come on as well after that horrible leg break against Wales in the Six Nations to come back and score a try. Want to quickly move on. And and talk about the other games. Australia, New Zealand's quick comment there. I think after 30 minutes, someone had a word in the referee's ear and to remind them who was hosting this year's tournament. Because <laughs> up until then, uh, Australia certainly weren't uh, weren't um, performing to the script, shall we say? Uh, but you know, fair dues to New Zealand. They they'd locked into gear and and really did uh, go through those gears and and proved themselves to be the good side. And, you know, players that are coming back from the sevens um, circuit and uh, really are improving them. Big win for Italy over the United States. Uh, that was probably the one surprise result of the weekend. And then France spluttering to a win against South Africa. Canada looking good. I mean, yeah, there's, there's plenty of for all teams to improve on. And shall we say lesser teams, which is not something we should be saying. They're all World Cup teams, but lesser teams proving themselves that the gap is closing between the big boys. So not big boys, the, the big the big guys and the little ones. You know, I mean, they, this is going to be a great World Cup, isn't it? It is. It's going to be, it's going to be competitive. England are number ones. They've gone in as favourites, but... Anything can happen as a World Cup. Doesn't matter whether it's rugby, football, cricket. We all know that we can always end up with that surprise turnaround, and it goes wrong. Somebody has a bad day, and you know we end, we end up walking away out of um, out of the group stage. And I don't think that's going to happen with England. Um, Scotland and, and Wales have got some bits and pieces to approve on. I think the USA will probably want to do something similar, but they've got a really competitive game against Japan coming up at the weekend. Um, so I think you know it's you know they're they're World Cup teams and they're all there because they deserve to be there. And um, you know we see in in the women's Six Nations, England run away with it uh, over a number of years. Um, with England, France always seem to to be the the final two. I think that gap is definitely closing. Um, professional contracts um, coming into play. Um, you can definitely see that from the Welsh point of view. I think they've been training together, so you can actually see the camaraderie and and what's been going on um, in that team build up. And uh, they had a, a documentary as well on uh, on BBC Wales that that was really really good as well. Um, so I think you know the investment in in the women's game and of, of those. Of those national teams is is certainly making this World Cup probably one of the best World Cups that we've probably seen in in a, in a little while in terms of the competitive nature. Now, um, all of that positivity that's come out there, I am going to throw one slight bit of negativism into it, um, and it's something Sam. I mean, me and Joe discussed this before you joined us off air, as it were. But I'll, I'll be interested in your thoughts on it because you've mentioned the lionesses. The one thing that 
was brutally apparent to me was you look at the coaching boxes and every coaching box is led by men. Um, and in particular, the New Zealands, that they've kind of like pulled the panic button slightly, knowing it was their World Cup. And they pulled in one of the top men's coaches to coach the team in Wayne Smith. I, You look at the Euros in the football and it was really gratifying to see that the two teams that got to the final were both coached by women and exceptionally good women coaches. And it's not a case of them just being there because they are women. They were there because they are great coaches. And indeed, people are talking about Emma Hayes at Chelsea in, in the football being the first woman to coach a men's football team. And I think that's not far off. What I hope comes out of this World Cup is that the players who are the senior players in these teams are now looked to be accelerated through and to become the next raft of coaches coming through. And Joe's mentioned it, but we'll ask you first time, but Joe's mentioned the, the amount of good coaches that are in the um, Premier 15s. Is that something that they should be looking at and be the prime focus after this World Cup to bring those female coaches through? I think I think the answer has to be yes, <clears throat> but to maybe offer a, a, a devil's advocate opinion is that the the players on the pitch in the Women's World Cup have to be women. Obviously, everyone else doesn't have to. And I think whilst we're trying to grow the game, which ultimately is it's in that upward trajectory and it's made massive strides over the last couple of years, we should be getting the best people into the best positions to coach the players in the right way to get to 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 breed a professional mentality whilst also having the, or, or teaching or bringing through senior players, making sure they carry on and go into coaching rather than going off and doing something else, you know, becoming commentators or whatnot. And, and that's a slow burn. It won't happen overnight. But I think whilst we have these showcase events, these world cups where the world is watching more so than it might do on a six nations or something like that, have the best people in the, in the best slots to, to get these teams playing at the absolute peak of their, their ability. And if that's a man, a woman, a dog, who, who cares? You know, let's get the right people in with the long-term objective of bringing through, you know, more female coaches that can coach it at the, at the absolute highest level. Because don't forget, football, whether we like it or not, the women's game in football is a little bit further advanced than, than the, the, women's, the women's game in rugby. Um, so we learn from the success of that sport but I think we should also be patient and understand that it's not something that's going to happen overnight. But as long as we have the, the plans in place and, and we know where we're headed, you know, I think that's the main thing for now, from, from my perspective. you agree with that, Joe? Well, yeah, I do. I mean, as, as you said, we discussed it before and, and you know, I mentioned that there's a there's a number of, of women coaches in the Alliance Premier 15s now, all of who are doing really, really well and, you know, helping promote that game. But I don't disagree with Sam. You know, the women's game um, is getting a lot of investment now. We've seen over the last couple of years with the Women's Six Nations how the trajectory of that and the investment in terms of having it on mainstream TV during the day um, and not a 10-minute highlight at the end just to say, you know, oh, look, England women have, have won the, the Women's Six Nations. So, you know, there's, there is that trajectory um, with the women's players and the game. And I think now um, I agree with Sam in terms of the, the women's coaching setups, um, that potentially that is the next stage of investment. So you've had the investment in the women who play the sport. Now it's the time for, for the women who coach the sport as well. 
Um, I think it's about making sure that, like you said, Joe, there's clearly talent that's that we see week in week out in the in the Premier 15s. It's just about ensuring that <clears throat> something like what's happened with Australia, with you know, we're shooing in, you know, uh, an internationally renowned coach, that that doesn't actually get in the way of um, you know a very good female coach being able to to have taken that position. I think that's the key. It's just making sure that we don't go too far away. Absolutely. Yeah. As we say, we're looking forward to the rest of this tournament and um, everything that goes along with it. Um, but let's have a word from one of our um, advertisers and then we'll come back in part two with a, uh, a, a few of my rants, shall we say. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Alex Lunton and I'm a proud Loose Heads Ambassador. I'm Sydney Gregson and I'm a Loose Heads Ambassador. We're a rugby mental health charity working to tackle the stigma. You can find us at Loose Heads on all social media channels or at looseheads.co.uk. The Loose Heads mission is to place a mental health lead at every rugby club. Get in touch now to find out more. Take care and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Enjoy the rest of the pod. Welcome back to part two of episode seven, season three of the Fezcast. And yeah, I've had a week off, so um, I've been brewing up for some rants. And uh, luckily enough, there's been plenty of subjects I wish to rant about. And first of all, I'm going to have a rant about red cards. Now, I'm not going to call out Mako from the weekend. It's one of those things that happens, Okay. Players will have a brain fart is the best way not. But myself and Matt have had a bit of a to and fro on our WhatsApp group, which I'm sure everybody else has just sat back with a popcorn and, and watched and enjoyed. But I have a real problem with players who are paid an ordinary amount of money to do nothing but train day in, day out to avoid the sorts of situations that Mako found himself in. Now, watching the game on the telly is a lot different to being stood on the paddock and playing the game. But watching the game on the telly, I could see exactly what was about to happen. And bearing in mind you were being refed by the best referee around, and Wayne Barnes is the best referee, and he refereed that game spectacularly well, as he always does, you're not going to get away with it. Um, Matt pointed out it was 0.3 seconds, but 0.3 seconds is actually quite a long time. Uh, Mac had come from a long way back and he had the opportunities to just keep running past and not to go go into, into, into it. I do agree with the situation where, you know, there's got to be a leniency level or whatever, because when it comes to the uh, disciplinary, that's what they'll take into account. But... Mako was a red card. Mako knows it was a red card. Everybody knows it was a red card. That's the end of it. He'll go to disciplinary and he'll get a free match ban because it was low level. There's plenty of mitigation and it's his first offence. What annoys me more than anything else is when you see players like Ellis Genge do exactly the same but far worse. And Ellis Genge's one on Friday night for Bristol Bears was at a far worse 
a level than Mako's, and he gets a yellow card. I think David Flatman today is, and I can't remember which of this Northampton Saints players it is, but he's highlighted a rampaging run during which the player has actually thrown his elbow into the neck of the defending player. Now, the defending player probably should have been a bit lower, and he gave that. But what I'm really getting at is I think there's an awful lot of coaches out there who coach, and I won't mention any any teams, but they've got a chop, um, who coach clear-outs that are right on the edge of legality. Um, and it's something that's got to be taken out of the game. And if Mako getting a red card promotes that along 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 the line, then fair dues. And I mean, he's he's going to accept it. The club's going to accept it. He's going to stick his hand in the air and say, sorry, sir, shouldn't have done it. But, you know, if anybody's seen the documentary that was put out this week about Steve Thompson, you know, I could remember exactly where I was on the Rugby World Cup final 2003. Steve Thompson can't and he was playing in the game. And it's these sort of challenges and clear outs and dominance. It's not all the language around rugby. It's got to be a dominant clear out. It's got to be a dominant tackle. It's got to be explosive. It's, you know, it's got to put, we need to have this conversation because, okay, Mako was lucky. It was a quite a, a gentle end of it, but it could not, it needn't have been. I mean, I don't know how do you see it, Sam? You were there. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I think I had a couple of Guinnesses by then, and it was over the other side of the pitch to where I was where I was sitting. <clears throat> but I kind of saw it the same as you, Jez. It was one of those things. It was pretty telegraph, and it like you said, I think brain fart is the best way of describing it. It just it just kind of happened, and as soon as it happened, everyone went, oh, for "God's sake!" You know, there we go. We've got to play the rest of the game with fourteen men, which completely changes the, the dynamic, and ultimately Newcastle started to get back into. The- game a but I think we are you know even at the amateur level um, where I played at a few years back the kind of language that you talk, you were saying just then Jez is the kind of language that st- is still used in the game a lot um, and I do think coaches do still tell players to go out there and, and do a, a, the odd you know naughty little little thing um, and actually I was at the uh, I was at the rugby Speaker of the Year lunch on on some uh, Friday. Sorry, one of the speakers was Jason Leonard. I know that we're going back. We're going back a few years now, but he was t- telling a story where, for England, Andy Robinson told him to go out. He said, "I don't care if you walk around the pitch all day. All I want you to do is to hurt people today. That's all. That's all your, your job is is just to go out there and hurt people." I know that was probably maybe fifteen years ago now, but I still do think there's an element of that in the game, and. Maybe maybe this is going to sound a bit controversial, but how far do we go? Because we don't want a game that is completely, uh, you know, completely different to the game that we've grown up loving. Um, that are out on the pitch, you know, playing it, so they can continue to do it at a high level. And I actually think it's a really difficult challenge because we could go in and get doctors and, and all these specialists to go in and tell us everything that needs needs to change and we'll have a completely unrecognisable game to watch. Um, and that would be the best thing for the players. But is it the best thing for the sport? Would we? Would it just be so unrecognisable that it would it would die a death? So it's, I'm not saying either one's the right answer. It's just, it's one of the most difficult challenges in rugby 
across both the women and the men's game, I think at the moment, is the balance between player welfare and keeping the sport that we love being the sport that we love. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you. And I mean, it's not just rugby. There's many sports in which, um, you know, at the end of the day, you play sport, you know the risks, you know the challenges. You could get on a motorbike and ride around the Isle of Man TT and, 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 and be killed doing that. You, the, the, the accounts of dementia in amongst footballers from heading the ball for, I can say, rugby league. American football, they wear helmets, they have concussive injuries in American football because of the protection equipment that they wear. Um, yeah, it's a really difficult thing. The one thing that I really don't like is the fact that, one, we got people turn around and say, well, Mako shouldn't have been sent off. He never actually touched him really much. Doesn't matter. The intent, regardless of whether it was a brain fart or not, it, the potential was there for it to be bad. Well, you go to the other end and people are turning around and saying, well, he should be young, drawn and courted. No. <laughs> That's why we have disciplinary boards that they will take it into account. The red card was right. TMO got it absolutely right. Wayne Barnes got it absolutely right. Mako got it absolutely right. And shaking the lad's hand and walking off and not making a big issue of it. Refer that back to Bundyaki a couple of weeks ago for Codor, who's got an eye-week ban because the bloke's never entered a ruck legally ever. Um, you know, I mean, I hope he doesn't listen to this because that might be actionable. So I'll say allegedly has never entered a ruck legally. Um, but, you know, he immediately complained about it. Everybody was complaining about it. No, <laughs> you were off your feet, mate. It was dangerous. Just stick your hand in the air and say, yeah, I screwed up and I move on. I mean, Joe, uh, where do you stand? No, I, I, I agree with what you guys are saying there. Mako, clearly, the, mo- the moment it happened, knew that, that he'd made... Um, an absolute boo-boo there um, and and I thought he dealt with it very well and as you say you'll go to the disciplinary board hold his hands up say oh, I've been an absolute pleb there I mean you, you, I know I know that you, you can't turn around and say oh you look at the history and all that kind of stuff but he has he's not like the kind of person that will will be yellow and red carded every every single match and you only have to look at the, the type of player that he is and and I and Brain fart is an excellent way of describing it because I genuinely think that's what he's had. He's had a complete and utter brain fart, um, lost his mind for a second and, and gone in there. But um, it, it is a really tough balance for referees, for supporters who are trying to support their their club and their and their players, saying what what is it? What is a good tackle? What is a poor tackle? Um, but but I agree with you. You know, rugby isn't the only sport. You, you talked about the NFL there. They've literally just in the last forty eight hours changed the whole concussion protocols. And I'm a bit of an NFL geek, so I apologise. So I'm going to slightly go off track here. Um, but but it's going to change the game. And, not, and people in, in in America are doing the same thing that we'll probably be end up doing in the next uh, few months and weeks. Saying well, if you change that, then this is going to change the dynamic of the game. But um, to a title over from. Um, uh, Miami Dolphins got absolutely hoofed around the field um, and he should not have been allowed to continue on the game for Miami Dolphins um, and the, the the doctor there has been punished I think fired actually for, for not um, conducting those con- uh, concussion protocols correctly now you know the, our games come a, a long way in terms of, of rugby with the HIA assessments and stuff like that and, and if people were picking those up and there was a number um, during the Women's uh, World Cup this weekend where actually um, they they were they were pulled up by the, the um, observers on the side and said that player's got to come off and have an HIA um, because you know it's a fast flowing game and you can't expect 
the referee, the lines judge, sometimes even the TMO to pick every single little thing up. Um, we saw it in the Gloucester Bath game, didn't we? Where the Gloucester number eight um, went off, then came back on, and then at half time they hiked him off and saying, well, "We made a mistake there. He should never have been allowed on." Well, that player in those five minutes he returned on only needed to get. We've just. I mean, yeah, it's difficult. I'm not a doctor, <laughs> and you know, but there's a common sense thing here, surely that you. Know, Percy, I think if a player goes off for an HIA, that's it. You you know, regardless of whether you pass it or not, that player's out for the rest of that and, game. And that's right? exactly what they've done. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's one that's going to rumble on and on and on and on. Uh, what we'll be sure is that we'll miss Mako for three games at least and, and potentially... England's um, or internationals, he might be out for that as well. You never know, which means a return for Joe Marler more likely, which is even more. <laughs> but we won't go into that one. Let's move on to <laughs> another one of my rants. And uh, actually, the next, I've got two rants, but they're kind of linked. But first of all, I'm going to have a quick rant about Lawrence Delalio and the situation with Wasps. And I'm actually going to come out and support Brian Moore, which is not something that you normally hear me do. But Brian Moore wrote, wrote an in. Brilliant article in the Telegraph today, replying to Lawrence Delaglio's car crash interview he did on BT Sport, where there was a complete and utter uh, conflict of interests. Whereas, you know, Lawrence has basically turned around and said, look, you know, yeah, okay, these are the rules, these are the laws, but wasps are too big to be adhered to them. And Brian Moore's come around and said, no, the club's all signed up to these you know what the the consequences will be, and wasps are not too big. They're not, you know, if they were the world leading brand that um, that Lawrence Valio thinks they were, they'd never have had to leave London in the first place. It would have been Saracens or Irish uh, going down the uh, the pans and having to move out into the the wilds of west of the West Midlands or Wickham up the M40. You know, wasps have been badly run. Badly mismanaged. They went to Coventry with a level of arrogance that everybody in Coventry would welcome them with open arms. The football club hate them. Coventry rugby is doing well and their fans haven't moved over the Wasps, although I'm sure some of them probably go when Coventry are away, perhaps, whatever. But, you know, Wasps... Yeah. The thing that what annoys me most about Lawrence is this hypocrisy of it, because if you turn around and, and took his argument to the logical end, in 2018, 2019, when Saracens got done for the salary cap, bearing in mind we'd won most of the last few championships and three European Cups, surely we were too big to be relegated. But he wanted us relegated as far as we possibly could go. But now it's his club where he's at. Sadly, oh, no, 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 goalposts are changing now. Uh, that's BS as far as I'm concerned, and Brian Moore did well in calling him out. Anybody want to uh, disagree with me? <laughs> Dare you? <laughs> no, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not Lawrence Delalio's biggest fan, um, but I also appreciate his love for wasps because it's as unwavering as my love is for Saracens. I'm so biased when it comes to Saracens. Anything to do with Saracens. I argued with people to the cows come home that we shouldn't have been relegated for the salary cap, even though 100% we should have been, just because I'm so biased towards Saracens. The difference is, is I'm not being interviewed on BT Sport. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, I, I've always said, even before, you know, that, that interview that you, you mentioned, 
in comms, he's biased. He shouldn't. He shouldn't be allowed to commit to commentate on wasps matches because he just he, he just he can't help himself, and that's fine because he loves wasps. You know, you cut him open, he bleed black and gold. Absolutely loves them, and that's great. We want people like that in the game, but there's a time and place for it. And and clearly, what he said is just stupid. I mean, it, there's no team that's big. So you're saying it's okay for for Worcester to go down because then you know they're not a big enough team. Well, you tell that to the you know the four thousand nine hundred ninety nine people that were at uh, Six Ways the other week crying their eyes out because they thought it might be the last time that they were going to see their team play. Um, that for me, that's that's disrespectful to to Worcester, disrespectful to Saracens as well because essentially in saying that he's also saying that we are not as big a team as Wasps. So what I'd love to know is okay then Lawrence. Put your league table out. Which clubs are allowed to get relegated if they do something wrong, and which club, which clubs shouldn't be relegated because you know they're part of the cool old boys association of Bath, Leicester, Gloucester, and Wasps that can get away and do whatever the blooming hell they want. You know, Leicester committed a few issue, you know, a few salary cap um, uh, things last last season, and effectively got let off with a slap on the wrist. Um, you know, I think Lawrence was one of the people that did talk quite a bit about the salary cap. Um, yeah, he didn't talk at all about the fact that for years and years and years, um, a lot of the players' wives at Wasps did a did a twenty grand um, evening working behind the bar at the social club at the you know at the, at the old ground. Um, so he didn't mention those sorts of things that I know about because I know some Wasps players. So you know, it's it swings and roundabouts. And for me, all it was it just highlighted that number one, he loves his club. But number two, he shouldn't be allowed near a mic when he when he's got to talk about it because clearly he's too biased to be able to be put in these situations. Oh, absolutely, I completely agree with you. And it's interesting that you bring up Worcester Warriors there because that's the next thing I wanted to talk about. Um, in particular, that I've seen a little bit of toing and froing from various people on Sari's fans forum saying that they've seen the statements that sales sharks are made, that Gloucester Rugby are made, offering, you know, free entry to games to Worcester Warriors season ticket holders and everything like that, and saying that Saracens as a club should do something not, not necessarily the same because we're too far away, but should be making a statement of that sort. And I actually sat back and went, no. I think the, the almost... Um, unnecessary haste with which Sale and Gloucester have come in and gone, there's 5,000 fans we could do with a couple of thousand of those each. It's, it's, it's almost obscene. It's it's disrespectful to Worcester that they've, they're, you know, they're picking over the bones of the carcass of a once great club, and they were a great club. They're a great community club, but they're picking over that carcass like hyenas, in my view. And I, I, I really, I really... Do think this whole situation at the moment, you know, yes, when Saracens got done for the salary cap and everything, the one thing that we did, regardless whether you agree with us being relegated or not, is that we did it with honour, we did it with dignity, we took our punishment, we said very little, we didn't stoke the fires, other people might have done, we didn't react to it. These last couple of weeks with the financial situation, you've really seen... Without wishing to get too political about it, <laughs> the, the the capitalist way of you know it's it's asset stripping, it's it's exploiting situations, and I really don't like it. It's not been a great picture being presented of the game of rugby union in England at the top level. What do you think, Joe? 
I agree. I don't think it's in the spirit of the game. Um, I can see it from a business point of view for those clubs. Um, I can't necessarily see the diehard um, Worcester supporters taking them up on that very kind offer um, uh, because they will they will be wanting to to get their team um, back in business, so to speak. Um, and I can't I can't necessarily see if it was the the shoe on the other foot. Um, a load of Harrison supporters um, being offered um, that by Quinns, for example, and wanting to go down to Twickenham or to the Stoop to go and um, watch Quinns and sit there and support Quinns. Um, but, you know, you, you can, again, look at it from, from two sides and say, you know, are they just trying to offer an olive branch to those people so they can go and watch some rugby games? Um and and say you know come and watch them for free. You've clearly lost your your money from going and watching your own team. So I see it from that point of view. Um, but also I, I see it that I, I'm not convinced that that the Worcester Warriors supporters may see it in the, in the same vein. You may get the odd few who just want to go and watch for the for the love of rugby. Um, but uh, in terms of of Saracens making a statement or a, or an offer or a similar offer. Um, you know, I think there's been been they've had their messages of support put out there by um, on social media. You know, I've seen it from from the men's teams, from the women's teams, across the academies, and all of that. Um, you know, and we we all know that you know the rugby family would all pull together if there was something that, that could be done to have, have helped Worcester and avoided Worcester getting into the spot they found themselves. I'm not. I'm just not sure that. Offering um, Worcester season ticket holders free entry to the game is 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 the way to to offer that support. Personally. Absolutely not, and and it just leads on to another quick point um, as well to say about the um, the haste at which some players have been snapped up. We see the Leon Finn Smiths signing for Saints today. You see Ted Hill and various others going off to Bath. One question is, how are Bath doing that within the um, within the salary cap? Second question, it's like they've, picked, they've cherry-picked players. There's an awful lot of players at Worcester who are out of contracts. Women's rugby, we've already discussed. Nobody seems to be wanting to hoover those academy players up, the young players who are just breaking through. They're just interested in the ones that are going to, you know, for Bath, I mean, let's be honest about it, they need an awful lot of players to come in to improve them. But that's all they've done. And there is a huge question to be asked about, you know, will the salary cap managers be going in there and asking, you know, who's taking a pay cut so that Ted Hill can come in on whatever wage he's coming in on or whatever. It's an absolute mess, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, do you know? I mean, there's. I, I saw again. You know, we've seen all the, the players that have moved moved from from Worcester, but I think you know they've, they've got. A, they want to play rugby. At the end of the day, they would have been told, "Look, guys, that's that." Sorry, shut up shop. And there is an element of, you know, back, you know, playground school days playing playing football, picking your team. You get two captains, and of course, they're going to start picking the best players first. Bath aren't going to go in there and go, right, can we have one of your average players, please? We'll have we'll have one of the better ones. First come, first serve. So I think there's an element of that to it. Players need to play. Um, so kind of fair play. Fair days. I mean, this is one that's going to uh, roll on and roll on and roll on. Um, and we've really got to have a chat about the Falcons game and look forward to Bath. So we'll have another word from one of our advertisers. Then we'll be back with part three and run the rule over um, the good things 
we've discussed Marco to death, so we'll talk about the good things from the Falcons game and then look forward to Bath at home on uh, on the weekend. This is the Fezcast. Hi, this is Jess from the Fezcast to tell you about another one of my passions. I love music, and I have my own radio podcast station, Taka Blow Big Radio. This is the home of great music presented by myself and my friends, be it folk, rock, indie anthems, progressive music, you name it, we've got it covered. So if you want to listen to some great music, tune in to us at mixcloud.com slash You're listening to the Fezcast. Listening to the Fezcast. Well, welcome back to the Fezcast with me, Jez, Sam, and Joe. And we're going to discuss now uh, the game on the weekends. We've left the best to last. Um, Falcons away. Sam, you were there. Joe, like me, you um, well, you've watched it on the highlights. I watched it on the um, PR TV. Um, first things first. I've got a soft spot for Falcons, having lived up in the northeastern and having a bit of a history up there. But for sixty minutes, Falcons were awful. I thought they, you know, Adam Radwan. They've got the most exciting player. In the Premier League, I think him and Louis Rees Samet are just phenomenal, and they just never gave him the ball. And they only improved once Marco went off, and even then, they lost a try, <laughs> a Max Malin's try, which we're gonna we'll have to have a quick discussion about Max as well in a minute. Um, I did say it was all going to be positive, but we'll have to throw a little bit of a negative in there. But you know, Max Malin's is off to Bristol next next year. Adam Radwan is someone that I would, if we are in the in the in the market for replacing him. Although I think Ben Harris and Rotimi Sagan are good enough to to step into that into that um, space that Max is leaving us. But Adam Radwan would be one person that I think one it would suit him um, to further his career. Whilst he's up at Newcastle in a team that's not particularly brilliant, Eddie Jones is not going to look at him. I don't think. So he needs, you know, as, as as difficult as it is to say, and not being trying to be arrogant, he does need to come to a bigger club to progress, I think. And I certainly think he would fit in nicely with the way that we play. But other than that, Falcons threw a few punches, but they were a bit powder puff. Don't you think, Sam? Yeah, do you know, it's funny you, you talk about the wingers, because obviously on the other, other side, they've got the Argentinian bloke that does the, 200, the 100 metres in about minus three seconds. Um my dad was actually sitting next to me and he said, um, he said, I'm not happy with the way we're, we're defending. We're so, we're so short. Like we're, we, you know, we're keeping it really tight. And I said, dad, yeah, we're doing that on purpose because we know what they're going to do. They're, they're going to try and get the ball out to the wingers. Cause that's, that's, that's where they can, they can throw those punches. That's, that's where they're going to, they're going to score tries from. Um, and we, we were almost enticing them to try and do it, but with a, with a, with a defense that was going up really quickly. And it just and and we we defended exceptionally well. We were very very we we went we went there with a very particular defensive plan, and I think I think executed it pretty much perfectly. To be quite honest with you, and it was to keep it tight. It was to 
tease them. Go on, chuck it to your wingers. Because we then had our second level back up. We either had Faz or we had Daly or we had Van Ziel. Sweep, basically acting like like sweepers, the old older uh, sort of football defensive analogy um, that, that we knew we were going to sort of mop up the uh, anything that broke through. But you're right, Newcastle just didn't seem to have anything about them in attack. And actually, I have to say, well, as much as our defence was great, I thought attackingly, it was probably our poorest performance of the season so far. Because we were a bit slower than we normally were. We did we did throw a few silly passes occasionally um, <clears throat> and didn't penetrate them as much as I was really hoping that we would do. So as much as, as you say, we've gone up there, it's not the easiest place in the world to go to. Bristol found that out last week. Um, it's uh, it's a great little ground. Good supporters get behind their team. Five points, happy days. Getting five points away from home anywhere in the Premiership needs to. We, that's a that's a massive tick in the box, um, and we we got that. Um, I just, but I do think the coaching staff are going to look, particularly from an attacking perspective, and go. We weren't quite as on it as we as we've been in other games. Maybe it was the slight change in personnel up front, slightly different platform. Um, you know. Faz and Van Zyl didn't quite seem to be um, on the same page as they were last week. <clears throat> but um, all in all, five points, got to take it. Well, absolutely. I think the, the biggest problem was that we'd won the game at half-time. And half time, after half-time, we actually come... Instead of going for a cricket score, we kind of just went, you know, they're not coming back from this. We'll go through. We'll, we'll avoid... Too many injuries, too many opportunities for injury. We've done the job, and they did do they did do that job pretty well. It was the second half was was not great. It has to be said, you know. But you know, we earned that right. And you're right about the defence. Defence was impressive, and that's what gave us the opportunity to go for some of those spectacular tries. Was the fact that we were so strong in defence. I want to mention three players. First up, I mean, this is going to become a bit like a stuck record, I think, this season. Elliot Daly um, has just been out as well. Now, he got four assists on the weekend. One of those assists was a beautiful little grubber kick into Alex Lewington. And I am so happy that Alex finally got his hands on the ball, wasn't shot from the stands, didn't cock it up, and actually got his tries because, I mean, I will give another football analogy. I'm a West Ham fan. We've got a lad playing up front for West Ham, Skamaka, who scored a goal. He scored six goals this season. Against Fulham, he had four chances. And, you know, if he's was in Haaland, he'd have put all four of them away. He only put one away. And it's all to do with confidence. But he's in the right place to get those chances. And Alex has been in the right place to get those chances on the rugby field. And now he's got those chances and, and put them away. You'll see him really flourish and I think he'll he'll really have a great season now. But Elliot, four assists, you can't ask much better than that. And everything that was good. You know, I think I think it was Matt um had tweeted about him being the best 12 and a half in the league wearing a number 15 shirt. And he's absolutely right. But everything went down his throat. And what I loved about him was <coughs> excuse me, he got the ball in his hands and he knew what he was going to do. He and, and he'd made a decision. And that's my big thing. When I coach rugby, the one thing I've always said to players is there's no such thing as a wrong decision. 
other than no decision. And Elliot got the ball in his hands and did something. And 99 times out of 100 on that game, what he did came off. Four assists. He can't argue with that. Are you enjoying watching him play, Joe? Yeah, I did. I mean, I have to say, as you said before, I watched the highlights and, and the game did look uh, a little bit flat. But uh, you could you could have looked at, at that game and thought it was going to be an absolute belter of a game. You know, um, Saracens have had a winning start to the season. Newcastle just won at Bristol the weekend before, um, quite comprehensively at home as well. You know, so I, I think you, you could have looked at that game and thought this is going to be a really good, sparky game. Um, both both teams got fast players, like to play and throw the ball around a bit. But from the highlights, it just looked a little bit flat. Um, but, you know, as you say, a win is a win. Um, take take the five points and say, say thanks very much and, and, and move on to, to the next game. Um, we've done Mako uh, to, to death now, but, you know, that was unfortunate. Um, but it didn't necessarily detract from a game that I thought was a little bit flat across the board, really. But I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I actually said exactly the same thing. I said that to describe the game as flat, that's, that's exactly what it was. Um, but you know what? We've so far this season, and to be honest, for the last five, six years, I think we've held ourselves as a team to such high levels that, you know, we're not happy with being 26 nil up away from home, um, you know, against Newcastle on a Sunday afternoon. And we're picking out, you know, relatively minor things. Um, and actually, if you want my opinion, if if Mako hadn't gone off, I only think they scored their tries because there was that inevitable hole. And they they just had the ball for such a long period of time during the second half. They were just going, they weren't they were going backwards half the time, but they were just whipping the ball from left to right and then back again, just trying to find that hole. And then eventually they found it twice. And that hole wouldn't have been there if Mako hadn't been sent off. If Mako hadn't been sent off, conceivably we could have nailed them. To be Absolutely, I, I, I 100% agree with you there. Um, two other players I want to mention very quickly. Um, you mentioned Van Ziel and Owen not being on the same wavelength. I'm going to lay that more at Owen's feet than Ivan's feet because I thought Ivan, he's, his speed and his accuracy, which has been excellent the whole season, was there. But also his variation was, was superb. He kept... Um, if even if it didn't come off, he kept the Newcastle defence thinking, what was he going to do next? You know, his box kicks are becoming a lot more accurate, um, but his speed at the ruck is just phenomenal uh, uh, and absolutely superb. But the other player, and who was my player of the match, um, you know, I and mean, we could talk about Ben Earl, we could talk about Fiona McFarlane, we will talk about those guys more and more throughout the season, I'm sure. But Callum Hunter-Hill, you know, Marrow's at the NFL watching the American football. He's out injured. You would be concerned that perhaps, you know, you lost Tim Swinson, you've lost, you know, various people over, uh, from that position. This is a season for Callum to step up. In this game, he really did. He he ran that engine room beautifully. I felt he, you know, he did the he did the the, the dirty work, shall we say? He did the gnarly work, the the unsung work, as it were, the sort of things that appeals to me as a as a rugby forward, you know, aficionado, as it were, the stuff that I enjoyed doing as a player, and lots of players do, just getting stuck in and being 
being a pain in the ass more than anything else. Took a couple of line outs, as did Theo on, on Newcastle's ball. Um, yeah, I thought he had a really superb game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And actually, I, I had him in my head as someone I wanted to raise before you even uh, raised him, Jez. So, yeah, I I actually, I've said previously, I think I was saying it to Matt on, on a previous um, episode that I feel a little bit sorry for Callum because <clears throat> I think what we want him to do this season, we kind of actually, I think he was and everyone was planning for him to do it last season. What happened was we signed this you know, huge Samoan fella that, I mean, I can't remember what his name is. No one ever shouts at <laughs> the game, but um, who who kind of took his spot last year. Um, and I think Callum looks like he's worked on his game. Um, you know, I think he's a he's an athletic, he doesn't look it necessarily in terms of, but he gets around the pitch being, you know, very, very well. Um, he is, he's in more of that sort of, Swinson Cruz type mould than a McFarlane Ezekwe Itoji type player and that's that's what we need great in the line out picks, picks the ball out nice and easy All, always distributes it back down to the nine very very well um, yeah he's almost like a bit Richard Hill-esque in terms of he just does all the stuff that you don't necessarily need to see but he's, he's, the, he's the cog that keeps oil in the machine and, and keeps everything turning. Um, I think he had a great game. I think he's a very, very good player. I actually, he's an underrated player. And I'm, I'm glad that he, he's hit some form because I think especially in the run into Christmas when we're going to lose players to the to the autumn and potentially get injuries and whatnot, um, I think he's going to be a really, really important player for us. So, um, yeah, good to see that he's, he's hitting that form at the right time. But uh, long may it continue. Really want him to do well. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. I think he probably bought on half a stone in weight, which has made a big difference, bulked out a little bit. You know, last season, six or eight, he was a bit of a giraffe, maybe a little bit of a baby giraffe. Some of that, he's still a young guy, he's still building out. And yeah, half a stone on made a huge difference. Before we look at Bath at home, just want to quickly mention Max Malins, who obviously, you know, the the worst kept secret in, in rugby other than Worcester and Wasps having nothing in the bank. Um, Max back off to to Bath. I think, you know, it's a shame to see the lad go in, but I think his head's been turned by Steve Lansdowne's checkbook, probably. You know, Bristol, I think Charles Piertel's off next season, you know, so they've got a million quid that they can pay with, play with. Max is obviously a bit like Vincent Cop last year, has got a, a value in his mind. That he's he's worth, and I think probably Saracens didn't meet that valuation, which is their prerogative. They're obviously they're not concerned, and you know I think it was Barry who made the comment on a previous Fezcast that we very rarely let players go who we don't think that we can either replace or miss. You know, and that's perhaps been a bit harsher, Max. I mean, yeah, okay, you look at Alex Goods. 76 now, isn't he? Whatever he is. So you yeah, do you do question, yeah, you do you do question, you know, where the youth policy is there. But as I say, you've got Ben Harris coming through, got Rotim Rotimi Sagan doing, you know, they've they've obviously looked at it and said, okay, look, you know, we're not gonna pay what you think what you want, and whatever that figure is, nobody will know, and nobody should know. And Steve Lansdowne at Bristol obviously has opened his checkbook and done. The one thing I will say about Max, and it was exactly the same thing as we said about Vincent last year, is that all you can hope is that he remains professional and performs in that black shirt for the rest of the season. And on the evidence of um, Sunday, he's 
got that level of professionalism, that will will take him through. And there, there will be no worries about putting Max Malins in a Saracens team for the rest of the season. He will give his all for the contract that he's being paid at the moment. Are you happy with that as a as a analysis, Joe? Yeah, I would think so. And, you know, he's got his international aspirations as well to think of, hasn't he? So he isn't going to want to drop form regardless of where he ends up next season. Um, I think he, he's going to have foresight in, in terms of that. And I've never seen, you know, any any hint of unprofessionalism from the guys. So I would like to think that he can just stay in the, in the starting 15 and, and that's where he'll perform and still hopefully get across the whitewash a fair few times before the end of the season. Absolutely. And, and Sam, for you? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we, we never like to see players go, particularly ones that we brought through, but, you know, they're one of our own, as, as you say. Um, but do you know what? When, when, I, when I first heard the news, my first thought was, if I had the choice, there's there's about a dozen other players I probably would have been more more upset to lose, um, which just shows that we've got a great squad. But, you know, good luck to, to Max. I hope, he, I hope he does have a scintillating career. Because um, he'll always be a Saracen, because um, that's where he started out. So uh, yeah, we, we we wish him good luck. And, and as you say, can't see him dropping his performance this year. Um, he's going to want to go out with a bang, potentially with a Premiership title around his neck. Absolutely right. Very quickly, let's have a quick discussion. I'm not going to go into too much depth because uh, we've um, used up quite a lot of time. But uh, last year um, we gave Bath a couple of shellackings. I look at Bath this year and they have improved slightly, although I did make the joke on Twitter the other day that Worcester going out of business, I bet they still end up ahead of Bath at the end of the season. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, what what are we expecting? Let's have some predictions. Is it going to be another cricket score um, at, at the Stonex on, um, on the weekend or is it going to be a bit of a harder game? You first, ladies first, Joe. Um, I think Saracens will get the win, but I think Bath showed against Gloucester. It was a pretty tight game at the weekend for them. I think it was 17-21, something like that. Um, so so they definitely made some improvements there. Um, and, and obviously Saracens can't get complacent just because of the, the previous games that they, they played against, against them. Um, I still think they'll get the win, and I think they'll get the win by 14. Uh, that's how I'm going to go with that one. I don't think it's uh, going to be too much more than that. And yourself, Sam. I mean, I mean, <laughs> does last season's um, performances and matches and results have any bearing whatsoever on this weekend's game? Probably more for Bath than for us. They're going to go. These 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 boys absolutely gave us a hiding twice around last year. Let's. They're going to be. That's, that's going to be motivation for them. This has got banana skin written all over it. Absolutely, it has. Um, particularly if uh, the coaching staff decide to maybe tamper a little bit with the starting 15, uh, which potentially they may well do. I hope they don't. <clears throat> I think it's going to be one of them. It's going to be the really tight, you know, Bath get the, the first try or something and we go, oh God, you know, here we go. Um, or it, so it's either going to be really tight or we're going to, we're just going to, it's going to be a, a walk in the park. That's the way I see it. I don't think there's going to be an in-between. It's not going to be like a, a 10 point victory. I think it will be five or, 25. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, let's be honest about it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the game. I think it'll be... Uh, if Saracens play like they did um, in some of the performances, 
if they if they put together a purple patch, then yeah, it could be 110 for eight. <laughs> um, but you know, they're, 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 I won't be disrespectful to Bath and, and say that we're expecting that. I'm just saying that Saracens, if they really do click, would put any team to the sword, particularly a team that's shown a confidence. However, as you say, yeah, I think there's every chance that Bath will come here and we would have been targeting this match, if not to say that we're going to go to um, Stonex and win, but to go to Stonex and actually dog something out. So, you know, that that that's fair dues. Sam, Joe, thank you for your time and uh, um, your input on this week's uh, Fezcast. been fascinating talking about all the subjects. And um, hopefully my rants weren't too um, too ranty for everybody. But, uh, yeah, and thank you, everybody, for listening in. Our next show will be next Wednesday, the 19th. And hopefully we'll have some news on a on an interview, maybe, that we can get from the club. Um, keep your eyes on the on the um, the social medias, um, at Fezcast SSA on Twitter and the Fezcast on Facebook and Insta and whatever. And we'll have some news there. But in the meantime, thanks, everybody, for listening in. Thanks, Joe Sam, for joining me. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. And just a quick shout-out for the women who have got sail away um, in the Alliance Cup as well. Cheers to me. Um, I won't be able to make it to the game, but uh, I know that they've got uh, looking forward on building on the uh, disappointing loss that they had in the, in the first round. So that's uh, for them this weekend as well. Brilliant. Well, hopefully we'll be able to discuss a win on next week's show on that one. Excellent. Brilliant. Thanks, everybody. Ta-ra. This is the Fezcast. Thank you.